Spider-Man. There's whatever. Spider-Can. All right. So in this clip from actually the movie Captain America Civil War, uh, Spider-Man, Spider-Boy, meets his fellow superhero, Tony Stark, Iron Man. And when confronted with video evidence, Peter Parker admits, yes, he has been transformed into Spider-Man. And as he is talking, he confesses to Tony Stark that he really wants to use the gifts he's been given to do good. He really wants to make a difference in the world. And although none of us are superheroes, that I know of at least, on some level, all of us can relate to the issue that Peter is wrestling with. How to use the gifts and abilities that we have for good in the world. Now, when you're a, a superhero or a supervillain, uh, what you are really comes down to how you use your gift. After you've been bitten by a spider, after you've been struck by lightning, after you've been hit with gamma rays, you face a, a choice whether to use your gifts and your transformation for good or for evil. And the same is true for those of us who have encountered Jesus. Now, we don't suddenly gain the ability to climb walls because we come to faith, but coming into a relationship with Jesus affects who we are. And the key is for us, like Peter, to use that transformation for good. To use the gifts that we have in order to be a transforming power in the world. And this kind of transformation is actually the subject of our current series here at Rooftop, Morph where we're looking at what the Apostle Paul has to say in Romans 12 about what it means to follow Jesus. Now, Paul, you remember, is an early follower of Jesus. He uh, shared the good news of who Jesus was and what he had done through preaching and through letters, including this letter to the Romans that we have been walking through here at Roman in, at Rooftop. And last week, Donnie introduced us to the series, and he introduced us to Romans 12, 1 and 2, which was all about how we are called to be transformed, how we're called to be changed, how we're supposed to be morphed. And Donnie also talked about how Romans 12 is a little bit different than the parts of Romans we've been looking at for the past year or so. Because Romans 1 through 11 is really about how things are, whereas Romans 12 is about how things should be. In other words, it's about ethics. It's about how followers of Jesus should live. It's instructions for how to live life. And so this morning, and for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at what Paul has to say about what it means to be morphed and to follow Jesus. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to speak to you very specifically for a second. Because what Paul is saying here in Romans 12 is really written to an audience who already knows who Jesus is. 
they already have a relationship with Jesus. And so even though you're going to hear lots of really practical, useful information over the next several weeks, I want to challenge you to first figure out what you think about who Jesus is before you really start paying attention to what Paul is talking about here in Romans, and that is how you should live. But I want to make sure everyone hears very clearly the big idea that Paul brings us today from Romans 12, 3 through 8, which is our passage for this morning. Because in this passage, Paul says that transformation in Christ affects all of who we are. Belonging to Christ changes our whole being, our bodies, our minds, our souls, our spirits. Like Peter Parker, who is totally transformed into Spider-Man, belonging to Jesus affects who we are, how we think, and how we act. So let's take a look at our passage this morning, Romans 12, 3 through 8, and then we'll dig into precisely what it means. So Paul writes, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we are many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, in service, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so in these verses, Paul is talking about how transformation in Christ changes all of us. He's saying that what we believe impacts how we think, what we value, how we interact with other people, and ultimately the things we do, how we act. And the point that Paul is making here is that the good news of Jesus, the fact that Christ has died and Christ has risen and Christ will come again, that should affect all of us, down to the core of our being. There is no part of us that Jesus shouldn't transform. And so we're going to walk through these verses this morning, examining what Paul says about this totality of transformation and how it should affect how we think and how it should affect how we act. So look again at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Paul's message here is that transformation leads to right thinking. Right thinking, sober thinking, thinking that is accurate and balanced in terms of how it views us as both saints and sinners. In the first part of this verse, Paul warns us not to think more highly of ourselves than we should. Don't be arrogant, Paul is saying. How many of you have messed up this week? 
All right, about half of you. Okay, so the half of you, you're all sinners. The rest of you, you can tune out for the rest of the message. That's okay. Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. You've messed up. But then he goes on. Think of yourself with sober judgment. Think of yourself accurately. Think of yourself like someone who is not drunk. And that means thinking of yourself not too highly, but it also means not thinking of yourself too lowly either. Paul continues, it means thinking of yourself according to the measure of faith that God has assigned you. In other words, we should think about us the way God thinks about us, avoiding both arrogance and despair in how we think about ourselves. Now, there's actually some really fascinating psychology out there on how people think about themselves, and it basically boils down to this. We constantly lie to ourselves. Unchecked, you're a really good liar when it comes to what you think about you. Some of us think more highly of ourselves than we should. This is called illusory superiority. I'm better than Jeremy. I know it. And some of us think too lowly of ourselves. This is called the worse-than-average effect. I'm not even as good as the average person. And so the truth is, some of you are actually better people than you give yourselves credit for. And some of you are not nearly as impressive as you think you are. The question is, which person are you? One of my favorite things to do is to watch fail videos online where people mess up, and I pulled a couple from the internet for you this week. Take a look. How else are you going to flip? Okay, all right, whatever. <laughs> oh, are you okay? Okay, the camera person says at the end. Now, <clears throat> beyond the probably sinful enjoyment I get out of watching these things, play stupid games, you win stupid prizes, what I love about these videos is just the brash arrogance with which people do these things. I can make that jump. Right? I can do that flip. It won't be a problem until reality says no. Sober thinking keeps us from being the focus of a fail video. But sober thinking also helps us think rightly about ourselves when we can do something. Watching other people fail, or having failed ourselves before, is no excuse for not doing what we're supposed to do when we're thinking soberly. I had a friend in high school. She was an amazing singer, but she didn't have confidence in her abilities. And so when American Idol came to town, she didn't go try out because she was afraid she was going to be one of those people who showed up to the audition thinking they could sing, 
and just not being able to carry a tune in a bucket. My friend needed to think soberly about her gifts. So what about us? How can we think soberly about the gifts that we have been given? I have two suggestions. First, recognize that we are simultaneously sinners and saints. No one in here is perfect, even those of you who kept your hands down. No one in here is beyond making mistakes or failing from time to time. We're sinners. But because of what Jesus has done on the cross, those who follow him are also saints. They are more than the sum of their mistakes and their failures. So we need to remember who we are, and more importantly, who God has made us to be. Sober thinking means taking account of reality and living in that truth. And then the second thing we can do is to listen to the people that we trust in our lives when they tell us something. A few weeks ago, uh, I, I was meeting a guy for breakfast. He's a good friend of mine, and he uh, just came to me and he said, Hey, Jacob, I, I see this in your life. You are thinking and acting in this way, and I, I'm not sure that's what you want to be doing. And I was a little shocked. I hadn't seen what he was talking about. But after really reflecting on what he said, I, I came to the conclusion, you know what? You're probably right. That probably is something about me that I've missed. Now, my point isn't to accept every criticism that someone levels at you, right? Some people just have only negative things to say, and you don't need to worry about those folks. The point here is to listen to the people in your life who know you and who, tr and who you trust and who are going to say things that are going to help you become a better person, are going to help you become more like Christ. Part of sober thinking is being able to hear a message that is offensive and say, you know what? I think you're right. That is who I am. And by the grace of God, I'm going to have to work on that. And I actually think this is one of the benefits of belonging to the Big C Church. The ability to develop close relationships with other people for the sake of our growth. And I think this is what Paul is talking about in verses 4 and 5 of our passage this morning. He says, For as in one body we are many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. These verses parallel what Paul says elsewhere, in his letter to the Philippians, let us think not only of our own interests, but also to the interests of others. And the point is that your transformation in Christ, your gifts, your ability, they're not just for you. They're for other people. This is exactly what Spider-Man was wrestling with in our opening clip. He had these gifts and abilities, and he was struggling with how to use them for the good of others. Because when you have gifts, and your gifts aren't just for your use, you live differently. And this is 
actually something I think Rooftop does a pretty decent job of. In the few months that I've been here, I've seen tons of Rooftoppers use their gifts and their talents in order to help those in our church and community. When someone is uh, facing a difficult situation and they need prayer, Rooftop prays. When someone in a rooftop small group is moving or needs help with something, their small group shows up. When the food pantry or the homeless ministry need supplies, you guys fill those bins in the front hall to overflowing. When someone is diagnosed with cancer and needs meals because they don't think about eating amidst all of the chaos in their life, rooftop brings food. And when Pastor Matt and Michelle need help because of everything that's going on with Mitchell, Rooftop shows up. And so I want to applaud and affirm Rooftop for using their gifts to help others. But I also want to encourage you to continue to use your transformation for the good of other people. Because right thinking is hard. Sober thinking is difficult. And we can't give up on it. And of course, right thinking by itself isn't enough. Right? This is Paul's point. Transformation needs to affect all of who we are, not just how we think. It's not enough to just think soberly. We actually have to do the right thing. Someone who's an Alcoholics Anonymous can't just think about getting sober. They can't just want to get sober. They actually have to do the really hard work of not drinking alcohol. And that's what Paul is saying to us in our, uh, the next part of these, this passage, verses 6 through 8. He says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The point here is that transformation leads to right action. We actually have to do the right thing. It wasn't enough for Peter Parker to simply have the ability to be Spider-Man. He had to get up, he had to put on his suit, he had to climb out his window, and he had to go do something. And the same is true of what Paul is saying here. We have gifts. We have gifts, he says, that have been given to us in accordance with our faith, by the grace given by God. Right? Whatever talents and capacities we have, Paul reminds us, they don't come from us, they come from God. So we need to start there. And then Paul lists these seven very particular gifts. Now, these are typically known as spiritual gifts, and most people recognize that Paul is not giving a, an exhaustive list here. He's just naming some spiritual gifts. There are other spiritual gifts. And if you have been in church for any length of time, you know that talking about spiritual gifts can get a little bit contentious, especially when it comes to gifts like the first one that Paul mentions here, prophecy. And really the issue here is this. 
different Christians interpret gifts like prophecy in different ways. Some Christians look at prophecy and they understand it as foretelling the future. It's a miraculous gift. It's a sign gift. It's something that is uh, extraordinary, and it's about the future. And other Christians look at prophecy, and they say prophecy in in a kind of very general sense just means explaining the truth, proclaiming the truth about the way the world is. It's It's still a spiritual gift, but it's a little less miraculous. And there are a lot of theological weeds behind these two interpretations, and we're not going to get into those weeds today. But what I do want to say is this. You are welcome here at Rooftop, whether you think prophecy is foretelling the future, or if you think prophecy is proclamation of truth, or if you walked in this morning and you weren't thinking about prophecy at all and you have no idea what prophecy is. That's okay, too. And the reason that you're welcome here at Rooftop is because here we focus on the big picture of what Paul is saying about prophecy and the other six gifts, and that is whatever gifts and abilities you have, God wants you to use them. He wants you to put your gift into practice. Verse 6, let us use them. Some of you have amazing servants' hearts. You love helping people. If that's you, serve people. Some of you are super excited to be alive and really bubbly in the morning, and it's a little annoying when I haven't had my coffee. (laughs) If that's you, you might have the gift of encouragement. Encourage people. Some of you are good teachers. Some of you are natural leaders. People follow you into battle. Some of you are very empathetic and merciful towards others. If you have these gifts, use them. Most of you are materially prosperous. You have more money and stuff than most of the world could even imagine. God has blessed you. And if God has blessed you, maybe he has given you the gift of generosity. And if you have the gift of generosity, God calls us to give out of our blessing. And some of you are artists, and some of you are writers, and some of you are good with doing things with your hands, and some of you are good with money, or organized, or you have a really beautiful voice, or you like doing things with kids. Those are all gifts from God. We need to use them. That's what Paul is saying here. Now, learning what your gift is is part of God's transforming work. When I was younger, I was terrified to talk in front of people. I was so terrified that when I would come to church or school and I was late, I would wait in the hallway so that I wouldn't have to walk in and someone wouldn't be able to turn around and look at me. That's how afraid I was of people. And as God got a hold of my life, and I began learning some things about myself, I learned that I might have the gift of teaching, which sometimes require you stand in front of groups of people while they look at you. (laughs) Now, 
the process from going from one stage of life to the other was exactly that. It was a process. There was a lot of growth. There were a lot of painful experiences. And there are a lot, there's a lot of growth I'm still going through. You guys should hear Matt when he sits down with me on Tuesday mornings after I preach. It's like, Jacob, you're teaching. Man, you got to get on that. The point here is not that God gives us gifts and then he flips a switch to make everything easy for us to use them. Using our gifts takes time. It takes growth. So you might be asking, what about me? How do I use my gifts? How do I know what to do? Well, I'm glad you asked. First, we need to discover what our gifts are. Now, many of you are probably familiar with uh, personality tests, things like the Myers-Briggs or Enneagram or Strengths Finders. Maybe you've taken a spiritual gifts inventory at some point. Those are all really good ways to start the process of discovering what your gifts are, discovering who you are and what you're good at doing. That's a good first step. Another thing you can do is you can experience serving in the way that you, might, that you think you're good at. Right? If you go, oh, I might be good with kids, right? try that. Try that for a time. Give it a chance. See if that's where God has made you to serve. So the first step is to discover the gifts that you have, and the second step is to apply those gifts. Now, some of you have gifts that are really suited for service in the church. And some of you have gifts that are better suited for other environments. The key is to use whatever gifts God has given you wherever you can apply them. I have a friend, his, because of his job, he's not able to be in church most Sunday mornings, but he still uses the gifts that God has given him, both in his work and with his family, and then in serving in whatever capacities he can throughout the week. Even if you are not in a place right now when you can give a lot of time or energy to the church, God has still equipped you to do good in this world. And the key is, you just have to do it. You can't just think about serving You can't just want to serve. You can't just want to use your gift. You actually have to get out there, get on the ground, and do it. And that's what Paul is really saying here in Romans 12. He's saying, get up, think rightly about yourself, and then get to work using the gifts that God has given you. Now, I'm a tangible person. If I don't write it down or have something on my wall to remind me about something, I completely forget it within a couple of days. And so to tangibilify this message for you this morning, as you walk out of the worship center, the greeting team is going to hand you a piece of paper that looks just like this. And on this paper is a question. Where can I use my gifts? And there's also some information about the serving teams that Rooftop has, both to serve here in the church and to serve outside of the church. And you don't necessarily need to sign up for one of these teams, but I want you to use this paper this week. 
I challenge you to use this paper as a reminder of the gifts that you have been given and of your need to use them. A few weeks ago, I said that faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. Here in Romans 12, Paul is explaining in very practical terms what that means. He's saying that when we belong to Christ, Christ transforms all of who we are. And because we have been transformed, God has given us work to do and the gifts to do it with. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessings, for the blessings of the gifts and the talents and the abilities and the opportunities that you've given each of us. Empower us to think soberly about who we are and what we have and to use our gifts to be a blessing to others. Father, thank you for Rooftop, for our community. Give us the strength and the grace to continue to serve one another in love and to show your love to our community through your good gifts. Father, thank you for your words in Romans this morning. I ask that you would continually be transforming us by the power of the word, your son, Jesus Christ. Father, empower us. Give us the strength to live transformed lives and to honor you in what we do, not just on Sundays, but throughout our weeks and throughout our lives. We ask all this in Christ's name.